The world believes that the things you have and the things you do determines who you are. However, it's not what the world thinks and says about you that determines your worth, but what God says. In this episode, we will examine who we are in Christ and learn ways to apply God's truth to develop our true identity in Him. To talk about our identity is to consider who we truly are. When you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, you receive a new identity, His identity. Let's take a few moments to look at just some of the words God uses to describe our identity as believers in Him. John 1, 12-13 says, To all who did receive Him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Romans 8.17 tells us that because we are God's children, then we are also heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Are you hearing all the words that describe your identity in Christ Jesus? You are a child of God. You are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. And as co-heirs with Christ, we share all the privileges available to us through God the Father. Amazing! Since God created us and made a way for each of us to become His child, it makes sense that God's Word, not any other source, should determine our identity in Him. Let's take this thought further. Isaiah 64, 8 says, You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Of course, the clay never gets to tell the potter what it is to become. It is the potter that determines the identity of the clay. And like clay from the earth, we were created by God with great care and detail. And we are each to depend on Him to mold us into the person He desires us to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17 says this, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When we enter into a relationship with Christ Jesus, we gain access to the powerful work of His Spirit so His godly nature can be developed within us. That's why this passage tells us that we should stop viewing our lives from a human perspective and start viewing our lives from the perspective of the completed work we can become as we allow Christ's nature to have control over our lives. These verses also tell us that learning to walk in our new nature in Christ is linked to the way we view ourselves. We are either going to view our lives from a human perspective or from a godly one. Which perspective do you identify with? It's an important question because the enemy opposes God in every way. If he can lure you into believing lies about yourself, he can prevent you from walking by faith and experiencing all God created you to be. These truths are demonstrated in a story found in the Old Testament. 
The story is about God's people, the Israelites, who had continually witnessed God making promises and faithfully keeping His promises generation after generation. An example of one of these promises is found in Genesis 17, verse 8, where God promises to give the Israelites the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Now, look with me at Numbers 13. The story begins in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out. Chapter 13 goes on to tell us that Moses gave these leaders directions on how to travel through the land. The men did what Moses told them to do. They went into Canaan to evaluate the situation, its land and its people. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from their exploration. They had all made the trek through Canaan together, yet they returned with opposing perspectives. Joshua and Caleb were two of the men who shared the same perspective. The remaining ten men shared a perspective that was in opposition to Joshua and Caleb. Numbers 13, 27-29 gives us the perspective of, of the ten men. It says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. In verse 30, Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said this, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Verse 31 shows the opposition of the other ten men. It says, But the men who had gone up with Caleb said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And these men spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Isn't it interesting that people can see and experience the same thing, yet come away with a different perspective? Chapter 14 of Numbers records how the people who failed to believe God grumbled against Moses and the Lord. They questioned the Lord and continued to doubt Him, while those who viewed their lives from God's perspective reminded the people of God's promises and encouraged them to trust in the Lord. Then, sadly, God placed judgment on those who refused to believe in His promises. God forgave them, but consequences remained. In Numbers 14.23, God said to Moses, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Then, look what God said about Caleb in verse 24. God said, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. I share this story with you to show you the importance of personal perspective when it comes to our identity in the Lord. Caleb's perspective of who he was and what could be accomplished was based on God's promises. In other words, Caleb believed God would do what he said he would do and that he wanted to use Caleb to do it. On the other hand, 
those who viewed their lives from a human perspective identified with their apparent limitations and potential weaknesses by comparing themselves to others. We can see from scripture we just read that these ten leaders left God's character and his promises out of the equation. They focused instead on the appearance of circumstances and speculation rather than the promises of Almighty God. And to make matters worse, they convinced other Israelites to join them in their unbelief. Do you see how we are each confronted with the same choice today as the people in this story? We are either going to view our lives from God's perspective and identify with everything His power can accomplish in and through us, or we're going to focus on those things coming against us, those things that appear too big, too strong for us to face. If we're not careful, we will give in to the temptation to listen to the voices of others and even our own thoughts that tell us we can't do it, we're not capable, we're not good enough, smart enough, or whatever enough. Think about it. The struggle people experience today with finding their complete identity in the Lord is the same struggle people have experienced all the way back to the Old Testament. The struggle is between who God created us and will enable us to be, and whether or not we will place our belief and trust in Him. Investing in the world's perspective can lead to doubt and fear, confusion, discouragement, insecurity, low self-esteem, and eventual defeat. It can also tempt us to grumble and complain against the Lord like many of the Israelites did. But if we will believe God as Caleb and Joshua did, we can experience peace, assurance, and confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in what God promises to accomplish in us and through us. In order to recognize the choice to believe and trust in truth, we must first learn to distinguish the lies of the enemy from the truth of God's word. Be aware, the enemy will use anything possible to distract you from your true identity in Christ. The Bible tells us in John 8, that our enemy, the devil, is a liar, and there is absolutely no truth in him. He may use condemning comments and negative labels placed on you by others, or your own critical thoughts, to try to prevent you from resting securely in your identity in Christ. Make no mistake, the lies of the enemy are exposed by the truth of God's Word. The truth is, that we were each created to find our entire identity and self-worth in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9 says, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, that we are God's temple, where the Holy Spirit of God Himself resides. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created for His purposes. Romans 8.37 tells us that throughout life, we are more than conquerors through Christ. And most importantly, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, nothing anyone thinks feels, or says about you changes your identity in Him. Please understand, the thoughts, feelings, and emotions we experience are very real, but they don't always reflect truth. 
God wants us to believe by faith in his truth, while at the same time, the enemy is working hard to tempt us to invest in a false perspective of ourselves. An example of a false perspective is one that views life from a sense of lack. This perspective can be reflected in thoughts or feelings like this. I lack what it takes. I'm only a C student. I don't qualify. If I only had, well, I'll let you fill in the blank. These statements reflect a sense of lack based on what you're unable to see, feel, or touch. If our belief system is based on a sense of lack, we will live by sight rather than by faith which is exactly what the enemy hopes to accomplish. You see, the enemy will tempt us to live by sight, by drawing our senses to potential deficiencies. Yet faith says that everything we need is found in the Lord. Let's look at an example from Scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God appointed Jeremiah here to be his prophet. Verse 6 records Jeremiah's response. Oh, Lord God, Jeremiah said, I surely do not know how to speak, for I am only a child. Do you ever hear yourself say, I am only? I'm only an entry-level employee. I'm only a student. I'm only a single mom. Now look with me at God's response to Jeremiah in verses 7 and 8. But the Lord said, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to everyone I send you to, you will go, and whatever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. You see, God looks at us not from a perspective of what we lack, but from everything available to us through Him. For example, 2 Corinthians 9.8 tells us that God's grace abounds so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. If we had everything we needed in ourselves, we wouldn't need the Lord, and He wouldn't get the glory for the work He does in us. Another approach the enemy uses is to try to convince us that the world's standard of self-worth in such things as money, possessions, honors, or personal achievements will truly satisfy. We know that the world's perspective is in complete opposition to the things of God. Think about the world we live in. It associates a person's identity with qualities that are temporal and often tangible. If a person invests in this way of thinking, their identity and self-worth are dependent on temporal material things. But temporal things can be lost or taken from us in a moment. The things of God, on the other hand, are eternal lasting forever. As a believer in Christ Jesus, it's not what we have or don't have that determines our identity. Our true identity in Christ is determined by who God is and who He says we are. That means that we can rest every day in the confidence and assurance in our relationship with Him. Trying to find acceptance and a sense of belonging in this world will eventually inevitably disappoint and can leave us feeling insecure and unaccepted. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. If we live by the temporal beliefs of this world, we will miss experiencing the eternal benefits of living by faith. There is no contentment and certainly no eternal security that can be found in temporal things. That's why God tells us to invest in developing our identity in His secure, eternal, intangible qualities. Do you see how quickly God's Word exposes the dark lies of the enemy? And the truth of God's Word is powerful and effective in revealing our true identity in Christ. Now that we've learned to distinguish the lies of the enemy from the truth of God's Word, Let's talk about practical application of God's Word in our lives to further develop our identity in Him. We develop our identity in Christ in two ways, either from a proactive position or from a reactive position. To be proactive is to learn to consistently view our life from God's perspective. This takes place by continually renewing our mind with God's Word. And when you are tempted by false claims, you allow God's truth to have the final authority. In other words, you learn to recognize who God says you are and, by faith, believe who He created you to be. To develop your identity from a reactive position is to recognize when you have invested in incorrect thinking concerning your identity in Jesus, which is initially the case with most believers. As you can imagine, investing in even the smallest thoughts that oppose our nature in Christ will hinder us from reaching our full potential. So let's spend some time talking about methods of applying truth that will help us become less reactive and increasingly proactive in developing our identity in Him. The first method I simply call exchanging lies for truth. We learned earlier in this episode that at salvation, we become new creatures in Christ. But for many of us, our old nature has developed thought and behavior patterns over the years that may be considered acceptable by the world standards, but actually oppose our new life in Christ. These old patterns won't go away on their own or as a result of our own effort. Instead, we have to lay them down, letting go of them, if you will, in exchange for God's truth. This allows us to develop the new self that reflects God's nature. Paul explained this process in Ephesians 4, 22-24, where he writes this, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Interesting, isn't it? Walking by faith will always begin with a mindset a mind set on truth. We then activate the faith God provides to us by believing and trusting in truth. That means that living by faith concerning our identity in Jesus cannot be based on what we think of ourselves or what others say about us. It must be based on what God says. So let's use an example from real life to practice what we're learning. Perhaps you've made decisions or have hesitated to make decisions based on fear. Fear of someone's opinion of you, fear of not pleasing others, or fear of not meeting expectations. Even though feelings of fear are real, the source of fear is not God. 
In fact, Isaiah 41.13 says, I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. This doesn't mean that as believers we will not experience human fear. But it does mean that God wants us to surrender our overwhelming fears to Him in exchange for trust in His powerful promises to be with us and to help us in every situation. As I've said before, the thoughts and feelings that we experience are real. The important question is, are you recognizing any thoughts and feelings that fail to mirror God's truth? By aligning your thoughts and feelings with God's perspective, your true identity is revealed. I encourage you to begin today considering any thoughts and feelings you have about yourself that are contrary to God's perspective, and then practice exchanging each one for truth. To help practice this, I find it helpful to use transitional words or phrases that in the moment quickly transition my thoughts from self to Christ. For me personally, I often use the phrase truth is and the word therefore to help me transition from thoughts and feelings that oppose Christ to personal application of truth. Let me show you what I mean. Let's presume that you experience thoughts that you are inadequate in some way or you have feelings of being a failure. Now, listen for the phrase truth is and the word therefore in the following statements. The truth is that God is perfect, and therefore, He did not make mistakes in creating you. The truth is that even though we are each limited in our human condition, 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us that God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Therefore, you can trust God to accomplish His will in your life, regardless of any apparent shortcomings. The truth is that God paid a great price for our lives making each of us of great worth to Him. Therefore, you should accept the value God places on your life. That means that when you are confronted with negative or self-deprecating thoughts, you should intentionally lay them down in exchange for truth. As you can see, in order to experience our true nature in Christ as God intends, we must be willing to move or change from investing in what we may feel or what may appear to be truth to trusting fully in God's truth. As you can see, in order to experience our true nature in Christ as God intends, we must be willing to move or change from investing in what we may feel or what may appear to be true to trusting fully in God's actual truth. The Old Testament gives us a great example of this transition to trusting in truth in the story of Jacob. Jacob had a brother named Esau. Jacob deceived his brother, which, as you can imagine, made Esau very angry. Jacob then fled from Esau for many years. In Genesis 32 verse 7, Jacob is returning to his brother. And even though Jacob had a relationship with the Lord, he experienced fear because he had no idea how Esau would respond to him. Genesis 32, 11 and 12 shows Jacob taking up his concerns with the Lord. He said this, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. 
In the midst of his great fear, Jacob made two significant decisions. First, he turned to God, the one powerful enough to overcome human fear. And two, he reminded himself of the promises of God. The transition from fear to faith occurred with a simple phrase. Did you catch it? The phrase is, but God. Jacob said, but you, God, you have said, you have promised. Imagine what it would look like if we use the phrase, but God, in our daily lives. In those moments, for example, when feelings of loneliness invade our lives, but God, you promise to never leave me or forsake me. I know that even though I feel like I'm alone, you are with me, surrounding me with your presence and your love. What about those times when the challenge you are facing is so complicated you can't see a way through? But God, according to Psalm 18:2, you are my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I take refuge. You are my shield and my stronghold. I encourage you to develop the habit of using the phrase, but God, to quickly transition from thoughts and feelings that reflect the flesh to trusting in God's promises by faith. Keep in mind, any delay in choosing to stand on the promises of God creates greater risk for distraction and the potential to walk in the flesh rather than in truth. To put it another way, the quicker you become at trusting in God's truth, the more likely you are to avoid deception. These methods of applying truth in your life are obviously going to take practice. But my life is proof that it will make a significant difference in experiencing your true identity in Jesus. And as you practice laying down thoughts and feelings that fail to reflect truth, to walk in those that do, you will grow ever stronger in the nature Christ has given you. So I encourage you, be patient yet diligent with the process. Our goal should be to become less and less reactive by needing to correct thoughts and feelings that oppose God's nature, while becoming increasingly proactive in developing our true identity in Christ. So let's practice being proactive by believing and trusting in God's character. One characteristic or attribute of God is that He is all-knowing. 1 John 3.20 says that God knows everything. I acknowledge that God is all-knowing, and it's an incredible truth. But what difference should knowing this truth make in my life? I mean, what difference would this truth make in my life if I truly believed it? These questions are significant for application. Because when you stop to think about the difference a specific biblical truth could make in your life, you're considering the transforming change that results from practicing its truth. It's powerful. So, what difference should the fact that God is all-knowing make in my life or in your life? I mean, think about it. God knew what time the sun would rise over your house this morning and the exact time you would get out of bed. He is fully aware of the places you go each day and the routes you take to get there. Psalm 139, 1-4 says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. Shouldn't the fact that God has full knowledge about all things 
influence us to rely on his perfect perspective? Seek his wisdom for making decisions? Allow him to guide us? If we truly believe that God knows everything, shouldn't we fully trust him with our lives and the lives of our children? For me personally, knowing that nothing is hidden from the Lord should motivate me to make even my most private thoughts and actions pleasing to him. Please don't miss this. Now that we've taken the extra time and effort to really consider personal application, we can now practice it because we can see what it looks like to rely on God's all-knowing nature. If you would like additional practice in this area, I encourage you to download and study the application included with this episode. Before we close out our time together, I want to talk for a moment about your role in influencing other believers to develop their identity in Christ. I first want to encourage you to practice listening carefully for words or phrases that believers may use to describe themselves that actually oppose the character of God or His Word. Then, help them to recognize the ploys of the enemy in tempting them to invest in false claims rather than embracing their true identity in Christ. In addition, be sensitive to choices that may indicate that a person is finding their identity in the world rather than in Christ. For example, a person may pour themselves into their work to try to prove their value to their boss or to be recognized by others as successful. Yet, the Bible shows that we are highly valued by God simply because we are His. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Explain to those you disciple that pursuing the things of God is counterintuitive to pursuing the things of this world and that God created them to only find true, complete satisfaction in Him. Lastly, I encourage you to develop the habit of using transitional phrases such as truth is and but God to influence those you disciple to trust in the promises of God. Please understand, God wants us to encourage everyone around us to trust in His promises. But this is especially true of those you disciple, because these people are the ones who have asked you to train them in godliness. So let's use an example to show you what I mean. Let's say that the person you are mentoring tells you that they may lose their job. They're anxious and fearful about finances and worried about their future. Of course, you want to be comforting and caring as the Lord would have you be. So you listen intently and agree that this situation has the potential for concern. Then what? Then what do you do? Well, from experience, God may show you to be quiet. He may in that moment lead you to be merely loving and empathetic. He may prompt you to pray for them. But he may also want you to encourage them with his word and his promises. In fact, if you have been mentoring this person for very long, they may expect you to encourage them with God's promises. Regardless of how God leads, we want to be prepared to follow his lead. Keep in mind that Jesus always meets people where they are and then encourages them to take the next step of obedience with him. So in instances just like the one I presented, I first want to meet them where they are by allowing them to share openly about their situation and be empathetic to their concerns. Then, if they're open, 
I want to help them to see their situation through the lens of God's promises. It might look something like this. The potential of losing your job is very concerning, but God knows your needs even before you ask him. The truth is that he promises to meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I see your heavy heart, but God promises to uphold the cause of the needy. And then, because I've been training them to walk in truth, I might add something like this. You have been preparing for this situation, for your faith to be tested. What a wonderful opportunity to display your faith as a testimony to others. I'm going to be praying that God gives you the strength to rest in his promises. Sometimes, in adversities such as these, the person you're discipling has proven that they want to walk in truth, but they may not be prepared to do so in that moment. And in these instances, instead of communicating God's promises directly, I ask if I can pray for them. A prayer that reminds them of God's promises and encourages them to trust in Him might sound like this. Lord, You are all-knowing. And although this situation caught these friends of mine by surprise, nothing catches you off guard. I don't know what tomorrow may bring, but You alone control this family's future and you promise that your plans for them will not be thwarted. In this stressful time, help them to stand on your promises, Lord, and to exchange any anxious thoughts for your abiding peace. Remind them of the hope they have in you. And most of all, God, I pray that their walk of faith will bring you glory. Amen. As you train those you disciple to grow in their dependence on Christ's nature, Teach them to anticipate experiencing God's attributes at work throughout each day and encourage them to practice believing and trusting in His eternal qualities. Let them know that their confidence in Christ will grow as they become increasingly dependent on Him. The Lord Jesus wants each and every believer to walk in their true identity. As we do so, our lives will reflect Christ and point others to Him. Where does this episode find you? Perhaps you grew up in an environment that was critical or condemning that has led you to experience low self-worth. Maybe you've had negative comments said about you or labels placed on you that left you feeling unloved or rejected. It could be that you have been plagued by your own thoughts, replaying over and over that you'll never be enough. I encourage you to begin laying down each and every thought that opposes Christ and practice resting in the confidence and security found in your true identity in Him.